so welcome everyone to a very special episode of Struggle Session. I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. I'm Leslie the Third, and our very awesome new co-host today is Rola Saavedra. Extremely, extremely bright, passionate, cool guy. I met him uh, when he emailed me actually about the DSA Mutual Aid Fund that he's working on in Los Angeles, which is, I think, the most important thing going on in the DSALA right now. In fact, it's why I actually ended up joining. I finally signed up, and I've been sort of hesitant to join the DSALA for a while because, well, for for random different reasons, none that are really actually relevant to leftist discourse. But once I met Rolo, and he gave me a bit of a bit of a little bit of an outline of the work he was doing, I was just I'm super impressed. I mean. I, I'm very, very excited for what's Ed. So anyway, oh, enough kissing your ass. How's it going, man? <laughs> well, uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me out here at Struggle Session. Of course, of course. Yeah. Just, there, there's so much more gear involved than I thought it would be. I, was... I mean, most of this gear is literally just Jack got too much <laughs> gear. We don't, we, don't need, uh, we don't need any of these virtual audio cables that we have all over the place. The webcam is for when we do the occasional Twitch stream. Uh, we just have a shitload of microphones and stands, uh, and then like way too many cords. It looks, I promise you, it looks a lot more complicated than it actually is. It, it looks like what I picture hackers, hackers <laughs> offices would look like, like after seeing nineties movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Especially there's no windows here, which is very yeah. like hacker. Like it's just a windowless, a windowless <laughs> office filled with computers. <laughs> so are we sure Jack worked for Jimmy Kimmel? Maybe he's just like hacked the system and photoshopped <laughs> all those pictures. Maybe he does something I think else. it's possible that maybe he used the dark web to create an entire false identity around himself as a Kimmel writer. But anyway, uh, Rolo is, I think, one of the most interesting guys around because he has an idea that I think could transform I mean, I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but I think like the work he's doing could transform and give an entirely new purpose to what the DSLA is doing. Do you want to talk a little bit about Food for Solidarity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and I and I don't hesitate for a second to be hyperbolic because that's without bombastic hyperbole, I have nothing in my repertoire. So <laughs> Food for Solidarity is this new project that we're trying to push through, uh, the idea of which is to distribute food, distribute groceries for free in uh, working-class immigrant neighborhoods and at the same time provide uh, political education and try to organize as much as we can the local the local the local people um, ask them what their problems are how we can help let them know about all the services that DSA LA is offering or partner organizations are offering and just in general let people know that we are there we have their backs and our belief system includes that absolutely no one should ever go hungry and part and so we're there for them and it's not some speech it's not some 20 year old 20 year plan legislative plan or some this beautiful new candidate that's going to wash away all our problems no no it's 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 you it's me it's us it's us banding together our material interests are the same we won't be quoting some you know, a hundred-year-old dead German, or some, <laughs> or, or some, I don't know, really hardcore Russian or Chinese guy that died half a century ago. It's, it's about their problems because they are the natural base of any kind of socialist movement in Los Angeles, 
And for some fuck, sorry for swearing, for some reason you're allowed to swear on this show. Okay, for fine. some fucking reason we have completely ignored them. Like the, the uh, labor organizing movements flat out ignore the entire restaurant industry unless, unless it's hotels. And I'm like, friend, I've worked in restaurants for like three years, and they screw you over constantly. No one has a clearer and more fully formed idea of how bosses are assholes than restaurant workers. Sure. And yet for some reason, there is no efforts at organizing them, at recruiting them, at letting them know that we exist. Like if you, if you ask, if you walk into any, any kitchen, any restaurant, and, I, and, say, hey, God, and make some dumb joke about DSALA, not only are they not going to laugh about your dumb, dumb joke, they're not going to know what the fuck DSA is. Um, now, I don't want crit- to criticize my comrades. I have a great deal of respect for them. They have done amazing work. Uh, all I'm, but the perception I have is that the main tool of recruitment for DSA in general so far has been uh, after the great awakening that happened after the Trump election, uh, Twitter and mm. similar social media platforms became the main way through which people became aware of socialism, through which people became aware that there was an alternative to that mealy mouth, milk toast, slithery uh, Democratic Party line, centrist line. And, and so they became involved through that. But the problem is that people that pay attention to politics online are this tiny minority of mostly downwardly mobile middle-class people who, however well-intentioned, don't actually know most of the ways in which working-class people have it bad. I mean, you're talking about me here. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> but, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, of course, people that have access to a college education or, or, or just move in circles where people know who the fuck Marx is have a much better systemic understanding of the broader problems, but they don't experience firsthand, uh, say, blatant wage theft, right. which happens to every, every single waiter in the city of Los Angeles have had, has had wages stolen from him. Every single cook, every single busser, every single runner, every single delivery boy. They fuck you over relentlessly with a smile on their face. And you... You don't know that if your main concern is that your too, uh, student debt is too high, which is obviously a huge concern, but it's it, it's not stu- it's not student debt that you got from going to college that's really going to radicalize the guy that uh, works in the kitchen at McDonald's. I, I think it's really interesting because I think that uh, because and a big part of this is because that the democratic, uh, that the DSA, the movement in Los Angeles is very, very new. It's much newer than it, it is in, say, even on the East Coast in Brooklyn. It's been going for a few years longer there. Here it is very much in its infancy, and a lot of it is focused on the uh, needs of the entertainment industry, which, to be fair, is a major function of the city. Uh, the entertainment industry has some of the <laughs> biggest, biggest, and most fucked up problems uh, in the way it treats its its workers today. However, Forty-eight percent of Los Angeles is uh, Latinx at this point, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think closer to forty-two percent. No, 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 forty-eight percent. You're up. It's forty-six. Forty-six. 46. I've, I've been trying. Yeah, we've been trying to memorize all these numbers so we can throw them, throw them at people uh, when discussing the subject. Well, and and the truth is, is that most of the people working in these kitchens are Hispanic, and a lot of them are immigrants, and some are undocumented, and uh, you know, 
there is not really a place for them right now uh, in a broader movement. Not and not because not because per se that the people involved uh, on the on the new left are 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 intentionally leaving them behind, but it's it's more of just an issue of uh, what neighborhoods are currently just getting covered, what neighborhoods are currently, you know, uh, getting focus. And, you know, part of what's weird about Los Angeles is that it's, it's very, because you can have a car culture and because you have a city where most people get around by personal vehicle, it creates sort of a bubble situation where, you know, you, you have your friends, you have your family, you have the people around you. And that, that's kind of it. It's a very individualistic city. Building community and solidarity is very hard when neighborhoods are so spread out. And also segregation is so common. This is a deeply, deeply segregated city, Los Angeles. And so you have the needs of the downwardly mobile uh, middle-class white people, as well as downwardly mobile middle-class black and Hispanic people. But you also have immigrant communities that just are kind of like uh, they, they're just by the very nature of the fact that they're on the edge of the city or even in other counties like San Bernardino or San Gabriel, it's harder for them to get involved. Same with, uh, same with the, um, the black communities in Los Angeles. Uh, we have issues in recruitment and we have issues in sort of, uh, getting more people excited than, uh, you know, than, than, than there should be. I mean, we are at an exciting moment where the, Socialism can and should be getting built at a very rapid pace, but there is, uh, you know, again, material needs are the core of of our movement. The material needs of workers are are what keep leftism growing and going. And could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, uh, absolutely. It's the thing is, uh, if all you have to offer uh, an immigrant working class person, and I, I I'm sorry if I always focus exclusively in that group is that, you know, I, I am an immigrant. Uh, I, 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 well, in this, in the American context, I'm absolutely working class. And I, I don't, I don't care about some uh, legisl- legislative fight that might pay off in two to five years. I don't care about some uh, Hollywood labor organizing, which is very important and uh, very useful, but but, but it's, it's not, not your world. It's not my world. In what way do I interact with some Hollywood movie star? Or, or hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, I am a huge star. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I, so, I, I apologize. R- 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 uh, why don't you, uh, if for people listening, because we wanted to get you on the show because you're trying to get this plan out there. And why don't you just pitch the plan to our audience? Because we have a lot of listeners in uh, DSAs across the country. And uh, specifically, we have a lot of listeners in Los Angeles. So let's pretend you're standing in front of the DSA. Um, what do they have? A council uh uh, Legion of Steering Doom. Steering committee. The D- DSA Legion of Doom uh, <laughs> room. And you're surrounded by all of uh, those august figures and you just want to pitch this to them. What what would you say? So the idea is to walk into a single working class neighborhood, not fo- not focus on an incredibly distributed effort, which we are, a, we are a very distributed organization. So the idea is to focus our efforts into a single working class community, engage with a local pre-existing effort, we don't want to just arrive like, oh, here, here are the Caucasian saviors. No, that, that's, that's not the way we want to do it. We want to work in partnership with an existing local organization. And we get there, we start offering a lot of the material wealth that we have and they don't. And while at the same time 
preaching a message of solidarity and inviting them to participate with DSA in improving their their very own neighborhood, not not involving them into a national Medicare for All campaign. That might be something that we could do down the line, but initially the effort is to to provide to provide an absolutely ironclad guarantee that of food security to anyone who asks and let them know that we are there for them to help them. You're talking about hyper-local grassroots organization exactly. mobilization. Exactly, as opposed to a very, very distributed effort with actions happening all over a huge, sprawling city. This is, the point of this is to anchor DSA to a single community where their concerns are our concerns, where their hunger is our hunger, where, the, where their struggle is our struggle. So when the community starts getting gentrified or uh, a new company wants to, st- want to open, op- wants to open a factory there where they're going to treat workers like shit, we are there with them picketing against that, that factory. We are there with them uh, trying to stop uh, re- documenting workplace abuses. We are there with them uh, provide, organizing debtors say, that have, say, payday loan debt that don't know that are being exp- abused let them know we we organize them and then we can go to that you know loan shark and go hey screw you buddy um but the idea is to begin introducing ourselves into los angeles working class neighborhoods uh with a hyper localized effort that provides a direct material benefit to people's lives and at the same time trying to Recruit, not rec- recruit them is not the right term. Uh, trying to introduce them to who we are, what we're doing, and inviting them to participate in many of the fights that we're fighting with them. Now, you talk a little bit about the uh, food bank campaign. How you plan on addressing the, the material needs through things like food and things. Uh, one, one of the most successful things the DSA has done is the break light clinic. Mm-hmm. So, oh, go on. But the, the problem with the break like clinic, clinic is this one-time thing. They're going to repeat it like one more time, and, and that's great. It, it's phenomenal publicity, but it's not recurring. It's not every week. It doesn't create a link to the local neighborhood because we're just arriving there, we're providing the service, and then we're dipping out. It's helicopter, it's helicopter social service, if you want to call it. And what we, 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 wanna do, we want to do movement building not social service. There's social change and social service, and they're totally incompatible at the end of the day. And which is why this has to be a recurring effort. Every single week, we have to be there. Every single week, we have to be willing to listen to, not just listen to the problems, trying to show that their problems are our problems too, that there's a systemic cause to all their to all their individual specific material concerns and that we are also victims of those concerns and we want to work with them to address them. So full disclosure, I am starting to volunteer with the Mutual Aid Caucus. I'm very excited about what they're doing. Um, can you tell me what you think is, is uh, can you talk a little bit about the history of mutual aid and how it's helped socialism spread over really the last, I guess, 100 years? I mean, the two main examples that we are trying to draw from is the Black Panthers Free Breakfast for Children program, which uh, happened in the U.S. in the 70s, and it absolutely 
led to an explosion of membership and popularity for the Black Panthers on a national level. And uh, Syriza in Greece is another example we want to emulate because Syriza was a no, a, a no party. It was a party that no one paid attention to. It was incredibly marginal to Greek politics. And after they started, do, while the crisis happened in Greece, all social services were furloughed. They started providing those services instead of the state by opening free uh, free clinics, by opening by opening free grocery distribution programs, by opening uh, free legal services centers, and within a single year, they were they were the most the single most powerful party in the in the country. Now that was a country in crisis, so everything's accelerated. But the notion is the path to power, the path to actually making a difference, to not being like this well-intentioned club of allies or this this activist clique or this uh, advocacy group. The path to actual power is to mobilize the working class. And the working class is only mobilized if you're actually helping people. Uh, so, sorry if, if you can hear me banging on the table. I am a, I am very <laughs> South American in the sense that I really have to emphasize what I say. By This is my shit. This is exactly what gets me passionate yeah, so about the Ro- left, is helping people. Rolo, how did you come to um, leftism and socialism? Well, I was actually a dyed-in-the-wool uh, centrist when I came to the U.S. Because in Chile, there are... There is a communist party. There is a, co- a socialist party. Um, but I, in Chile, I always thought that they were loud, that they were always uh, relitigating uh, just exactly how many people were killed by the dictatorship. Uh, just There was a whole history in Chile that put me off the whole thing because they're always arguing about things that happened 40 years ago and that weren't relevant to my life. Uh, and also uh, socialist parties in, in general, in and both large sections of Latin America and Europe have completely bought into a lot of neoliberal things in order to get into power. So, But that's a different discussion. Um, so I came to the U.S. just thinking, I love that in this country all politics is so reasonable. Uh, and I came as a student uh, to study uh, neuroscience. Uh, within, I was uh, about three years into it, uh, I had a sponsor in the U.S. The sponsor withdrew. I lost my ability to pay uh, for tuition, and rather than going uh, almost a hundred thousand dollars into debt, I said, "You know what, guys? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna dip out." And I became undocumented. I became undocumented. I started working in the only jobs that are available to an undocumented person. Uh, I applied at this at this uh, Vietnamese noodle shop for a position. And the owner asked me, oh, well, you don't have papers. And I really just didn't know what you, to do in a situation like that. And the cook, the Salvadorian guy, he stepped in, he talked to the boss, he took me to MacArthur Park, where I got fake papers that very same day. And then I reapplied to the same position, got the position, and I just started working. And I was just exposed for the first time to the reality that is working class life in this country. And it is unfucking believable of... <laughs> Bad. Like the thing is, people think poor people in the U.S. and they think like what they see in downtown LA, just people living in absolute wretched misery, laying down the street, homelessness, homelessness essentially. But you don't have to be indigent to know to be poor. Like to to be working only one restaurant service industry job, all will already leave you 
near misery unless you have some sort of backing from your family, from friends. Without that, you know, if you're on, if you're on your own, particularly in a foreign country with no friends, you are so fucked. It's hard hard to communicate because I had I had generally bought into the whole. Uh, pull yourself out by your bootstraps, learn to code in your free time. And I was there working uh, working two jobs, working 16 hours a day, just so I could have enough money so I could take like a month or so off to learn to code and program. And and I was grounding myself to the bone and I was, I was thinking less. I was, I had ceased having friends. I, I, I found myself less human in a way. Because I didn't have time for creativity, I didn't have to time to write. I, I like full disclosure. I like poetry, whatever. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, cool. not, I'm not gonna apologize yeah, for poetry's it. Poetry's great. But but I was I would I would get back home just feeling like I had been polished to the nub. Uh, sorry, uh, how you say? Pa- to the pa- bone. To the no, to the po- to the bone. Yes, when they use this uh, sandpaper. Yes, sandpaper. Sandpaper to polish, to just completely grind you down, and I would get home and just turn my fucking brain off and mm. try to sleep, and then take as many stimulants as I could, and it was just this realization that I was only digging myself deeper and deeper, deeper into poverty because I kept having to take credit card loans, and it was the realization that there's absolutely no way out. Like one, maybe there is one in every. 200 people that is this extraordinary talent that finds just the, the way up and goes up. But for everyone else, you are fucked. You are relentlessly, hopelessly, unforgivingly fucked. There's no way out for you. This, you know, this boils down to a sort of class privilege that I think some people on the left are a little bit afraid of talking about. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, one, of, one of the more frustrating things we've dealt with, with not identity politics, but identitarianism, the exclusivity of identity is that privilege, the way that we talk about privilege is in America is usually class negligent. We usually talk about it racially or through gender, and like those are definitely real things. But the lack of class discussion makes a lot of the intersectionality, quote unquote, that the center likes to pitch not really true. Like, for example, look, the fact is, is that I'm unemployed. I don't have a college degree and I'm not doing great. However, my parents have jobs. I'm a local. I'm from the Valley. I grew up here. I have a, a home plate advantage. That is a class privilege. Uh, just by the fact that my parents own a house in Los Angeles. And these are not things to be ashamed of per se. I'm not ashamed of it, but I am, you know, it puts things in perspective. Uh, the immigrants who come here and you know, especially undocumented people, they, they have fucking nothing. And, and they are, they are trying to make it in, uh, where, where in a, in a, a fee, a playing field that is completely slanted against them. And while I think it's awesome and I continue to support a lot of the movement, uh, to support downwardly mobile, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to shit on white people because I think that's pointless, but like downwardly mobile white people are, are sort of the, right now, the majority of the new socialist movement is particularly in Los Angeles and New York. And again, not a bad thing, but it is like an issue of like, look, we've got to maybe move our priorities a little bit uh, to be less, uh, you know, I mean, for lack of better words, less online, you know, less focused on, uh, and you know, look, I'm extremely online. So again, just as guilty as everybody else, 
I'm not shaming anybody, but the kind of action that gets me really excited about modern socialism is the kind of, and, and I think, you know, again, this is just my opinion and Rolo's too. I think it's once we start focusing on the material needs of people who have nothing, then we are going to see gains beyond anything we've ever recognized. I mean, if you think that the explosion we've had since the Sanders campaign is something like, wait till we start actually bringing in people who truly, truly, truly need our help. Because if you look at the history of any major social movements, be it politics or even churches or or, or organizations, I mean, it's 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 not very complicated. People have to worry about eating, drinking, sleeping, and then also giving clothes and food and water and shelter to their kids. That's it. You know, we can talk all day about, you know, uh, you know, whether like this episode of Game of Thrones was problematic or not. But to me, what gets me excited and uh, I think what truly gets most people excited is fixing the material needs of people. And there has been some pushback that that mutual aid is charity work. And, and I don't agree. Would you like to talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. They, for starters, they call it, uh, well, what we, we don't, what we don't want to have is a red charity. And also, uh, since we are a majority uh, white organization, uh, it's going to look bad. It's going to look like a, like an NGO or or it, it's going to look like some, like purely, purely uh, from up to down, purely hierarchical. Like, we are good people, we are morally good because we're socialists and therefore we give food to, this, to these wretched poors. Right. And that is absolutely not what mutual aid is. The entire point of mutual aid is that it is trans- transformative. You're not simply giving food away. The, the purpose, the, the ultimate goal is not a, a better fed working class person. It's a working class person that is politically aware and fucking pissed because as they should be. As as I as I am, and and they they say oh but, but what about the fact that we're, mo- we're mostly white? This campaign is being spearheaded and uh, directed and organized primarily by Latino members within the chapter. Uh, sorry, Latinx chap- uh, members within the chapter, uh, be- because we have. Okay, I'm not going to speak for every Latinx person. It's just that in my personal experience. My, the biggest social determinant for health, this is according to the L.A. County Health Department, is housing and food. It's not whether you have access to healthcare. Now, it is very important that we fight for universal access to healthcare. That is absolutely an important fight. But how am I going to tell uh, an undocumented person who would not be eligible for any kind of healthcare system regardless that he that he should really march with us to get this stuff when... He's struggling to feed him, his family. So that's, that's also the biggest concern. A lot of people, a lot, I was, the thing is funny because I found myself in, in what I consider was a totally wretched situation, but I was relatively privileged compared to the people that have to cross the fucking frontier with the worst people on earth trying to hunt them down like animals and then have to feed a family of like six, well, uh, 4.5. Uh, six, I think it was. It's the average in in Los Angeles for Latin for Latinx families. But it mm-hmm. it it is unconscionable that 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 our main priority is not to build solidarity by offering direct material help into people's lives by 
going into a neighborhood, offering a service, and trying to recruit more from that from that neighborhood by virtue of establishing solidarity. Because uh, another another reason that I really that I'm really upset by the argument, oh, but we're mostly white, we shouldn't be doing this. You're gonna stay motherfucking white yes. if you don't recruit working class people. Yes. What the, what is wrong with your brain? Yeah. <laughs> I am sorry, but how how do you expect to change the the face of a membership if you're focusing mostly on entertainment stuff? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now you know the entertainment industry obviously is in need of serious reform. That said, uh, yeah, the majority of DSALA seems to have a, a major focus on entertainment. And uh, how how do you see? Uh, how do you how do you sort of? Uh, can you just take us through the fantasy scenario where it all goes off without a hitch? You get the funding, and you get you get whatever perm or whatever. I don't want to say permits, but uh, you get whatever prevents you from getting you know shut down. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you see it going down? Okay. Just take us through it. Yeah, so the idea is we start distributing food. Uh, the funding comes originally. Uh, we blast it out through our membership channels, letting everyone know that we're doing this. We get the funding from the original startup funding from that. Then we start expanding to a broader group of just sympathetic leftists that like the idea of directly helping people. Um, <clears throat> ultimately, though, uh, the funding from the process should come from the community itself. How? Because the Panthers did it that way. They reached out to local businessmen, to local organizations, and got donations through them. Now, our, our goal is to follow a similar path, but starting up with our own funds, because we're not going to walk into a neighborhood where no one knows who the hell we are and say, hey, can we have some money to give you food? That, that would be ridiculous. But that said, there are class traders. There are people with money who are interested in spreading socialism and defying their peers. Absolutely. So, so, Most of the managers in restaurants are salaried workers, and they are Latin, Latinx themselves. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how do you deal with a kitchen that speaks almost exclusively Spanish if you don't speak the language yourself. Right. right. Uh, and they do earn better wages, and I think they would be sympathetic to us if we show that direct way in which we're helping the community. But moving on, but going back to the, the way it all goes well. So we start distributing food. We start doing uh, political, politi- uh, political teachings. So teaching people about how your problems are also our problems. So we're all in this together. Um, we let people know about other services that we in DSA are working towards providing and, or that allied organizations are providing, such as uh, right now we are putting together a rapid response network. So if, they, if the Migra grabs a cousin of yours, if ICE grabs a friend, you can call this number and we would immediately either pack the court, which is a good way of influence the, ju- the judge, or someone or one, or we would put together money to post bail for the guy and we could uh, pick him up from the detention center because they're often left left just in the middle of the night, set out and go, okay, bye. Um, so rapid response, let them know about debt collect- uh, our work with Debt Collective. We're working towards putting a program that informs people about the, the way debt works and how if you form a debtor's union, if you band together with other people that owe money to the same organization, you can actually bargain for a better deal. And that, that was work that was pioneered in Occupy Wall Street. And Debt Collective was born out of Occupy Wall Street. And... Uh, 
that's absolutely something that would be incredibly important in a working class neighborhood because payday loans are incredibly tempting. Like right now, I don't have enough money to pay for my phone bill, which is why I've been communicating with people exclusively through email. <laughs> but if I'm like, oh, just 200 bucks to pay for that and then I'll just pay it back. No, that's, that's a spiral. What you, once, you, once you get into it, it's very, very hard to get out. Um, I, mean, I mean, and it's true that immigrants are targeted by really, really predatory capitalistic institutions like, say, payday lenders, more so than uh, middle-class white people because what are you middle-class black people. It is the payday loans target people who don't speak English. Absolutely. Not only that, it's just be because of the legal precarity that they find themselves in, they don't want to... If you're undocumented, you don't want to call public attention to yourself. By the laws, by cops, you don't want to have to do anything to do... You don't want to have to do anything with the government because you're absolutely afraid that at one point someone's going to ask for your citizenship status and you're going to get deported which happens constantly so people don't want to reach out for help one thing i will say that is really cool that dsala does is they have been on the front lines of pointing out that eric garcetti los angeles's mayor who is a capital r hashtag resistance liberal is cooperating with ice is cooperating with uh the detaining uh, immigrants, it's really, really fucking something else because this is a guy who will, uh, first of all, he's never in LA. He's usually in DC <laughs> or New York, but he is happy, happy, happy to talk about how Trump is evil and must be stopped while turning the other way and not actually making LA into this sanctuary city that can, uh, that, the, that the Republicans and alt-right actually think LA is. Los Angeles is not a sanctuary city, not even close People are getting arrested at school. People are getting arrested outside of courthouses. People are getting arrested in their own neighborhoods. And detentions are going up. And while Trump has not deported people uh, on the scale that Obama did, it's not for lack of trying. Trust me. It, they are detaining more people than ever. And it is a terror campaign. Make no mistake. ICE is waging a local terror campaign on, on immigrants. And, you know, this is... For at least Los Angeles and for any other neighborhood that has a massive immigrant population, this is in the, look, the top three priority. This is one of the important things we need to do because uh, socialism was built by immigrants. If you go back to the early 19th century, I mean, it's or the early 20th century and the late 19th century, so many of the uh, original American socialists were Jewish immigrants, Irish immigrants, Italian immigrants, and they were working together along class lines. Today, it shifted. You know, today we have... Uh, the, the coalition is downwardly mobile white people, uh, the black working class, and immigrants. The and, and and you know what? Don't forget the Asian working class, of course. Which, to be fair, is constantly constantly downplayed in a lot of these discussions because people automatically uh, associate. And this is really stupid, but people uh, people I've met and a lot of liberals tend to associate uh, East Indian and Asian uh, immigrants as sort of automatically wealthy. And that's just not true. All right. Uh, do you, anything else you want to talk about mutual aid before we move on to the fun stuff, before we talk about anime and video games? <laughs> uh, absolutely. The, the, last, the last part that I want to mention is that the ultimate goal of this is uh, it, it, it is to uh, recruit people. It is to bring people into the organization. We want to offer all this we want to offer help. We want to build solidarity. We want to help the community. But it is important that we become part of the community by virtue by virtue of them becoming part of DSA and that ultimately grounding DSA into 
what DSA in, into, into what Los Angeles is. There you have it. So I'm sold. <laughs> this is ex this is exactly the kind of work I want to see. And so, uh, what can people do to support yep, you, Rolo? Um, so right now, what we want is volunteers. We don't we don't necessarily want that many donations. We'll we'll have a campaign for donations eventually, and there will be a, a website and a link with for donations. But right now, what we want is people to help because if you have a car, you could pick up food at your local farmer market and take it to our storage location, and then we can take it to the distribution point. It's if you have time, any time, an hour or two a week can be enough to uh, feed 10 families. It's, it's incredible how little can do so much. And would really, really, really help if we had more people. Because right now I am doing so much work <laughs> and it's really 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 really, really and we'll exciting. and we'll have links on the episode when we post it up as well where people can get directly in touch with you absolutely that would be fantastic let's move on to uh the fact that you are well you have a berserk tattoo oh absolutely the i got the brand when i was 18 and uh i cannot express the horror my mom felt when she saw it. <laughs> wait did you make her watch berserk first before you explain the tattoo <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> but she's suddenly like, ah, can they see the guy who's demente? And I'm like, oh no, it's it's like it's 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 from a it's it's from a comic book. And she's like, a what? <laughs> a comic book. <laughs> uh, manga is, is incredibly, incredibly niche thing in uh in Chile to an extent that it's inquired in the U in the US people know what manga is. Like if you say the word manga, people go, Oh yeah, that Japanese things. In Chile, no one knows what the hell it is, so, so everyone was very, very confused. <laughs> so how'd you, how, Has Berserk been translated into Spanish? You know what? I wouldn't know because uh, I watched it. It has been translated, uh, you know, the Scanlation teams. Like, mm. there, are, there, are, uh, there are people online that do translations into Spanish, but I don't know if it has been officially licensed. Well, everybody's been getting along uh, quite well, but I think we need a little bit more struggle session this episode. So <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's talk about Griffin. Uh, if you've listened to our last episode of uh, Berserk, where we talked about Berserk, uh, we had a very lively discussion on Griffin's choice and, and the brand itself and what the brand means and why pursuing your dreams can be a very deadly thing. <laughs> However... Don't say it. So I'm just I'm just curious, you know, you're you're our new co-host. We've we you're our third or fourth at this point, just because we, we but we know you're legit. We had a couple of non-gamers on, you know, we we got rid of them and we got you on. Just somebody who really <laughs> understands the culture we're talking about. And so I just want to just want to know, like, what did you think about uh, Griffith and Guts? Who's whose side were you on? Well, I I I, I gotta say that. I was much like the characters themselves. I was pretty taken in by the vision of, of Griffith. What? I, I was a very young, idealistic uh, teen. And like the notion of, of just someone that's absolutely uncompromising about their dreams and their vision and willing to do that, regardless of the cost, was very appealing. And it's, it's incredibly satisfying to have both the betrayer and the betrayed being the central duality of a of a of a work of fiction rather than 
betrayers are always insignificant in stories. And, and Berserk is the one in which the betrayer is the, the absolute maximum central figure alongside with God. So it's, it's such an interesting dynamic. And there's that mixture of love and hate that even in the later chapters, in the latest chapters, like there is still this confusion within, within God's about whether he loves or hates this guy. Like he hates, he hates him. But for a second, I remember in the retribution arc, when, when uh, Griffith steps back into the physical world and, and I'm sorry if this is getting like really into the weeds of oh, my no, perspective. No, this is what the show's for. <laughs> but in, in the in the Shadows of an Idea series of chapters, when Griffith is reincarnated in the physical world, and just there's a, this panel of guts seeing him, and, and 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 then he says, "For a second there, I forgot to kill him." <laughs> it's just I remember reading that and being so blown away by that, like that that kind of dynamic, and also the the notion of. Um, I think to a much greater extent than in the US, like male friendship is very heavily emphasized where I come from. So like the idea of these two dudes, these two pals that are gonna get together and change the world just by this this almost sacred bond, this Aristotelic ideal, the highest form of love is friendship, was like that this whole notion. And just to me that blew me away. And the notion to see that subverted, to see how one one friend can see the other one as a tool, but it's kind of confused as to what they actually feel about them. That that very, very human, that very mixed dynamic is blew me away. I mean, I, I will say that I said that Griffith did nothing wrong to be facetious. Uh, of course, he was, he was a monster. But, I mean, if you look at the ultimate outcome, like it, the new Fantasia uh, arc, it's... It's looking like Griffith changed the world for the better. Okay, Rolo, I just want to be clear. All right, what you all said was very brilliant, very poetic. I can see why you're a poet. Very insightful, beautiful, wonderful. But I'm asking you, are you actually on this podcast defending Griffith? Because <laughs> L, L will, L will, uh, L is team guts all the way, and they're, they're, he is unwavering. He, he has the back of the black swordsman no matter what, and that's just how it is. No one else does. Well, yeah, true, true. God, it's incredible how everyone hates him. Um, <clears throat> why do you think that is, by the way? Why do you think people, uh, are they just that sucked into the charisma? <laughs> I, I, I suppose. Um, but the, <clears throat> there is, it's honest, honestly, like I find myself in this situation and it's, it's very reminiscent of the kind of conversations you have with dyed in the wool communists that apologize for Stalin's crime. <laughs> 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 well, ultimately, just a shout out to Artie listening right now. <laughs> well, ultimately, uh, you know, the USSR was industrialized and the, re- the, le- the life expectancy of everyone increased by almost 15 years. I'm like, yeah, but he killed them. <laughs> and it's, it's a similar situation here. I very, I, I, I think I've, I very rarely find myself defending Stalin and I very rarely find myself defending Griffith, but in this scenario, I will say that, yeah, Griffith changed the world for the better, ultimately. Wow. Um, I don't know <laughs> if we can have a Griffith, de- what would you even call it? Griffith Defenders as our yeah, host. Yeah, Griffith Defender as a co-host. Uh, might want to rethink this. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, he's too busy feeding poor people that's to fucking co-host thing, our right? show. This is, dirt, that's another, this is a dirt bag left podcast. You're not actually supposed to be out there. He is doing, not a dirt bag. He is a legitimately good human being. You're not supposed to be out there doing the work. You're just supposed to be talking about it, all right? Like, that's another strike against you. I, look, JDB, I wasn't even on board, but def, definitely not. So... Finish up the show and we'll we'll start. Let's see how much. uh, Oh wow! Uh, Yeah, I wanted to point out uh, the latest Blade Runner was a beautiful work of oh god, and you guys are incredibly wrong in shitting on it. You know, I actually haven't seen it. Like I've seen, I've seen some revisions. Yeah, Hell just doesn't watch movies anymore. (laughs) He's done. He's only gaming. Uh, Like so, Blade Runner is probably my favorite or second favorite film. Didn't bother to go see the new Blade Run because Jack and JDB uh, told me not to. They said... That's not what I said. I didn't say don't see it. Jack said don't see it. Oh, I don't think it's that good, but it's a renter. Yeah, yeah. So I will... I am looking forward to renting it as soon as it comes out on Redbox. But you're saying it's actually good. Yes. Uh, For starters, it actually has a mystery to be solved. Because the first Blade Runner is this beautiful work of style and narration and visual emotion, but there's no actual mystery in this noir no, in this noir mystery story. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Where, whereas the new one has a, a genuine mystery and it's a really, really compelling one. Yeah, I would say I, at least I would say there's no external mystery. I think the mystery of like internally who these characters are is kind of what you figure out along the way, but that's a fair point. There's no actual thing. It's just him hunting down uh, the machines, and then of course he happens to learn. That's what I liked. <laughs> that's what I liked. <laughs> I liked that 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 there was it wasn't more complicated than Decker's just a hitman for the cops. He's never anything more than a fucking thug. Like that's what I thought was powerful is that he deludes himself into thinking he's some private eye. That's the classic chump. Uh, but I'm also a noir geek. I could. We should do a double indemnity episode. Oh god, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Um, but you're right. Uh, it is very. You know, um, K. Ryan Gosling's uh, Blade Runner has a thing to solve. He has a puzzle, and it legitimately is a a real mystery with twists and turns. Now, I didn't love Leto, which I know. Oh, again, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa! We're my lose two code. Two hosts I know. L loves L's. L's a Jared Leto stand. So I will, he will def- defend, I will him to defend the grave. Jared Leto no matter what at all costs. Because <laughs> see, but that's what I mean, though. Like you haven't, you, you haven't even. You, you you'll defend Jared Leto's Joker, but you won't see Blade oh, Runner. He's Come in on, it for, just watch like, the fucking he's movie in it for like ten minutes. So like uh, like I, I I think I've already seen all his clips from the trailers. That's probably <laughs> yeah. true. I'll, I'll rent. I'll, I'll rent it. But uh, yeah, no slander in Leto. I'm sure those will be the best minutes in the film. <laughs> I was I was one hundred percent opposed to the existence of the movie. I hated the fact that it existed, and then I I went to see it. I was I was lonely one evening. Got some whiskey, snuck it into the theater, saw it myself. No one watched this fucking movie. Yeah, and yeah it didn't make money because I think it's probably because it was three hours and very slow, very very slow. It's there's silence is a huge part of it of the movie. And I was just blown away. Well, and the best, well, the best actor, actor in the movie was Dave Batista, and he's gone after the first scene. <laughs> but that, that's interesting that you said you didn't want it to happen. I feel like, at, like I've had that feeling about other movies before, but like there's been so many movies that I didn't want to exist now 
that like I, I can't give up like the new Star Wars movies. I wish they would just stop making the, I, those. I used to at least, but like I'm kind of over it now. I can just pretend that they don't exist now. I can just say, all right, they're not canon. The old movies are canon. The old books and comics and games are canon. And I can just pretend like these new shitty movies don't exist. So I think that as a uh, you know how what do you call it as a personal health um, issue, you should be prepared to decanonize any new shitty movie that comes out instead of <laughs> doing the old, the old way that nerds would do is just, they would freak out whenever these uh, sequels were announced and they weren't good. And they would just drive themselves crazy. Think about what could have been or what shouldn't have been like, no, just forget it. Do the Alan Moore thing where you just pretend that anything created that you don't <laughs> care about does not exist. <laughs> and openly denounce it. Yes. Openly um, denounce it as well. <laughs> I, I I would seriously really recommend the movie, and it's also the only movie I've seen in a long time that essentially openly advocates for socialist revolution. Oh, well, that's nice to know. Uh, Very understated. You really, you, really you, you thought that this was a? You thought that's what that was? Yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding me? It, it's it's a setup for it, and it, the importance that it's not about one heroic figure; it's about. Mm -hmm. A mass movement. A mass movement. Speaking, people, I dig speaking that. of, uh, there's a new Purge coming out. Which yeah, are first Purge. Which, as far as I'm concerned, are the most leftist movies in the past, you know, 20 years, frankly. The first two, at least. Um, extremely anti-rich um, people. The entire per point of, like, the first film is that rich people are all monsters. And they run the purges to get rid of the poor people with the help of the government. It's literally about the um, prison industrial complex. And a lot of people got confused. I actually had, like, um, leftist friends who just saw the trailer and thought, oh, this movie is horrible. This is just saying that in a state of nature, humans would just, you know, um, be barbarians and uh, kill them, kill each other like a really fascist like take on human nature. But that's not what it is at all. This is not a natural state. This is specifically engineered by um, corporations and the wealthy and the powerful to get rid of the undesirables, the underclass. So I'm and looking it, forward to um, this new Purge movie because they're really showing their hand because they put the name on like a Make a Great uh, America Great Again. <laughs> yeah, I mean the. the they they show the the lie, <clears throat> the lie behind all that libertarian ta stuff. Like the very moment you indulge the libertarian ideal, what you get is rich people living in fortresses and hunting down. Now there are so many good libertarians I know whose politics end at I should be able to buy drugs online. <laughs> I think it's okay to buy drugs online. That's not what I have the problem with. The problem is, is that leads into uh, I should uh, be able to do anything I want if I can I pay for it. I should be able it. to hunt human uh, beings um, on my property. Oh, on that note, next week we are doing an episode with Louis Gibson and Joe Deitch on their uh, new film Happy Hunting, which is on Netflix and is pretty cool uh, class-conscious uh, rich people are psycho hunter film. Uh, I'm a fan. So check that out. And Rollo, you like you have extremely good taste, extremely insightful opinions. I'm not sure about the Blade Runner one, but is there anything <laughs> else you would like want to talk about or recommend? Because I think uh, our audience would be into that. Oh man, you're putting me on the spot. I I was actually thinking of something as you were talking about the Purge, and then immediately forgot it. Which is oh oh, but oh. I, the problem with the Purge and movies like that is that it it assumes intentionality. Like yeah, it demonizes the rich, but. 
you have to have sort of sort of an understanding of the intent of the author to un- to understand what they're doing. And the problem with that is you you get the judge dread effect, where you have this open parody that shows cops as this fascist, militaristic, brutal, and feeling tools of the state, and people love it, and yeah, they they yeah. they miss the fact that it's a parody that it's that it's meant to be a a, a tongue in cheek exaggeration for of what. The Dirty Harry fascist cop. Yeah, Starship Troopers had the same problem where some people were like, look how cool they are. It's like, no! Another problem too, people were mad that it was too, it 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 was like cheesy, but they didn't understand it was deliberately, uh, so deliberately like, you're supposed to laugh at this and the the fascist uh, government bulletins or whatever. That is an interesting point about Dread. Like, I think, like, Dread, everybody goes wild about the movie Dread, but, like, it, it's completely divorced from the um, source material as far as, like, the satire goes. Oh, yeah, and I was thinking of the comic books, uh, which were, in which were, which everyone loves, and ironically, without, despite the fact that it's, I mean, it, it's a fascist ideal, at least in the sense of the military the military, not the entire judiciary system. Yeah, yeah, judge, <laughs> jury, executioner. The single guy with the gun. Yeah. It, it's it's the American cowboy, cowboy sheriff ideal taken to its logical conclusion in the modern industrialized world. And and similar to that, like I was I was actually having a conversation on your signal. No, not uh, sorry, your Discord channel. Yeah, yeah, which you can all check out by subscribing. <laughs> <laughs> About uh, uh, Warhammer forty k. Which started out as a parody of of what a fascist state that is always at war. Yeah, that 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 notion of the universe is always at war. We're always in a precarious situation. We must always rely on our benevolent god emperor, and all that stuff was initially tongue in cheek. But then the fans took over the project, and nowadays it's completely ironic. And you see, and you see. It and ironically be used by the MAGA chuds. Yeah. Like, I remember in middle school, like, reading about 40K, and it, as a 12-year-old, oh, it just sounded, like, fun and super extreme and edgy and cool, but not, like, political in any uh, serious way. But now you see, you know, 40-year-olds uh, posting uh, images from it, um, like, uh, Trump is the uh, space emperor or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> God Emperor Trump in the whole decked out suit with the ridiculous claw and everything. Like that's the aesthetics of fascism, <laughs> where that ugly garish shit is somehow cool. <laughs> Sails right over their heads. Well, Rolo, I want to thank you so much for coming on Struggle Session. Uh, any last things? Where we can find you online? Uh, how anybody can get in touch with you to talk about mutual aid? Blah 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 blah. Um, I there will be a, a website. That will that will link to, uh, but beyond that, I am personally not online at all. Oh, very wow. good, very okay. good, very smart. That's a smart move. I mean, I I read stuff, but I I have zero impact on. It's it's not my environment. Yeah, yeah me neither, man. I mean, getting off of uh, social networks really. Uh, really helped me put my brain back together. I mean, it broke my brain. <laughs> the internet is a brain breaker, and. Uh, I commend you for doing the right thing and staying the fuck off of the social media. Yeah, I, 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 and I also commend yeah, you. It's, it's amazing that you did the right thing there, but you you don't recognize that Griffith did the wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that said, that said uh, I'm very excited to 
We're going to have Rolo on again to talk more about some of the work that DSALA's Mutual Aid Committee and Fund is going to be doing in the future. And uh, if you're a part of DSALA, like I am now, hey, uh, get involved and uh, see what you can uh, do uh, to help feed some people who need it. I will just point out that I pitched the idea <clears throat> to JBD. He looked at, he looked up, thought about it, and and signed up for DSA almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, this is my shit. <laughs> yep. I've never seen someone actually join the very moment they get an they hear an <laughs> idea that they think, oh, this is actually good work. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, well that's it, everyone. Um, listen to us next week for our um, next new ah. co-host. I don't know if this one's going to... Co-host. Yeah, co-host, possibly. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Peace. Have a good one, guys. Ta-ta. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.